and I'm on. Okay. So, um, lesson number 31. Uh, we're in chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. And uh, this lesson I've called God's Overwhelming Love. And it's a lead into um, our next section that continues to build on this love that God has for us. And we just, we often miss that point. It's not just that we get justified by faith and that's it. We're justified by faith because God loved us. And that's what he wanted for us. And he took works out of the way because we couldn't do them. And he removed all kinds of barriers, legalism, self-effort, our own purposes and plans. Um, And, as we'll specifically talk about next week, swallowed up our rebellion in his love. So, let's... uh, Let's read, I'm going to start in um, chapter 5 and verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way down through verse 11, but we're only going to go through uh, around verse 5. So, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, We're going to be going down through verse 5, actually, tonight, as we talk about this this process that Paul is is really uh, addressing here, that our justification was not an end in itself. It was the result of some things, but it's also the entrance into some other things. So last week we talked about the kingdom of grace. We talked about all the different dimensions of grace that we find, or as I like to describe it, it's like a kingdom um, with all these different realms within it. And grace is much more than your sin forgiven. It's so many other things that God provides for us and does for us so that we might stand in victory in this life. And so grace is that way that God then operates toward us so that we have this this 
confidence. And what Paul talked about it, as he said last week in the verse that we were talking about, he says we have been given access into this grace in which we stand. This is a grace that comes after we've been saved, a grace that includes so many dimensions that, as God described it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, we're going to have to go to heaven for God to show us everything that his grace could produce for us and has provided for us. So tonight, then, we move on from that. And he goes on to talk about our boasting. And this word boasting will will build onto this. But this is not the arrogant kind of boasting in your self-effort or in your abilities or in something that you can have credit for. This is a boasting that is more translated as triumphing. And again, points that we'll see as we progress through the lesson tonight. But there are real results to this justification. It's not just theological term. It's not just some some idea that's out there. Well, we're justified. Well, yeah, made righteous. What does that mean? And what are the results of us being made righteous, besides the fact we get to go to heaven when we die? There's so much more. It's, it's not just, well, I got saved, now what? You know, I'm just waiting to go to heaven. Well, yeah, I am, right? But there's an awful lot that I need between salvation and Jesus coming back for us. Unless that happened on, like, the same day. You know. But God wants us to enjoy some things here. So um, I, I looked at this, and I love this passage. I love reading down through this one section because it comes to me almost like one of Paul's songs. And there's, there's a number of those that Paul, in his writing, his, his words almost become like a song. They, they become a beautiful poetry that is expressing something. I mean, the great, the great passage about have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You know, we have that beautiful section. And, and there's several other parts of Paul's writing that is just, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, the love passage. And they, they become like something that is attractive, but there's also deep doctrine there. And that's what we find in this passage. A lot is said in just these few words. So this song is a song of triumph. It's a a triumphant celebration of the life of a believer. And that our, our, our life is not just to be Struggling through, just gonna hold on, gotta get there, you know, one of these days. Back in the days that we were part of the assemblies, they used to sing a song, oh, you hold the fort for I am coming, you know. And it's like, oh, Jesus, please. It's like, we're, we're just barely gonna make it, we can't go in another day. It's just like, no, 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 no. We're to be able to live a victorious, triumphant life here. Does that mean. Free of pressure? Uh, No, because I don't think any of us have experienced that. 
Does that mean free of any kind of trouble or trial? No, because none of us have experienced that. But it is a triumphant life because no matter what we face, we will get through it. We, we are going to triumph. And so this is, this is this celebration that Paul presents here. So let's back up. I'm going to start in, in about the second half of verse uh, 3. And he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our tribulation. I mean, it's not just that we've been granted access into this grace in which we're standing. Not only that. Well, what if Paul says not only that, which he does a number of times in his writing, not only that, he means that that's great, but wait till you hear this. So not only that, but we rejoice in our tribulation. Mm. Mm. Now, your translation says suffering, but I'm going to come back and tell you that the word really there is, is about tribulation. So, our first triumph that he presents there is that we, we rejoice or we boast or we triumph in hope of the glory of God. So this first boasting is, is about hope of the glory of God. Now, what does Paul mean by boasting? It's down there on your page, but the word, it's big, so I didn't write the Greek word in there. And, uh, but this boasting is not arrogance. Now, that's the way we use the word boast, right? So to us, to boast is like an arrogant, it's puffing yourself up. It's self-promotion. It's trying to take credit for something that maybe no one cares about, but you want everybody to think you're wonderful. You know, so boasting uh, about these things. But this is not that. The Greek word here has to do with a celebration or a triumphing over something. It can be translated glorying, glorying in something. But triumphing is the word that I choose. Because this is like the, the picture of a warrior who has beat his enemy, and now he is triumphing over him. All right? We call this in football taunting. All right? So after you tackle the guy, and then you kind of do a little dance over him. You know, so that's, uh, you know, look at what I've done, you know, and so there's there's a lot of this going on and it's gotten almost to the place where it's like, could you just knock it off? But there's there's all of this, you know, you just did your job. That's all you did. You were supposed to tackle the guy, you tackle the guy. So just move on, you know, because the next time he's going to get past you and then you're not going to be triumphing. But. That's, that's the meaning behind this Greek word. It, the idea there is, is something has been overcome. And you are glorying in it. You're triumphing. And we boast, first of all, we triumph in hope of the glory of God. Now, that's not in the hope of the glory of God. It's in hope of the glory of God. We triumph in the fact that 
We are going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ in hope of the glory of God. And it's not just our glorification. That's not the way Paul says it. Our hope is in the glory of God, in the fact that we will be forever in eternity with him. So, as I presented last week, justification takes care of our past. We were justified, made right. We weren't right, and then we were made right. And so we were brought into a relationship. And so the, uh, the first idea here is that, that our past has been dealt with, justification. But then we're also granted peace with God. And that deals with our present. We are at peace with God. If you're not a believer, you are not at peace with God. You may have some kind of false peace in your life. You might have some kind of an idea that, you know, that everything's going to be okay and that you've joined hands and sing the Coca-Cola song, you know, and um, everybody's smiling, you know, and everybody's eating an M&M or a Kit Kat bar or whatever, you know, and uh, you're drinking the right coffee and you're using the right perfume, you know, so you're at peace. No, you're not. You're not at peace with God. Not until you've been saved. Peace with God. That means the enmity, the hostility that was between God and you is gone. And you now live. You live at peace with God. That is a present reality for every believer. Not every believer has tapped into it, but it's a reality. There's a lot of believers that have no idea what they've gotten. They have no idea what relationship God has brought them into. They may think about and consider the fact that their sins have been taken away, but there's a lot of believers who have no idea that God has done that. They don't even know what it means to be justified. They are. They just don't know they have it. And so there are a lot of people that are so uninformed in what the scripture says and the less churches teach the scripture the less people are going to know and so we have this wonderful thing called peace with god that's that's where we live do i have trouble in this world yeah but i'm at peace with god does the enemy sometimes knock me down and push me back and do his little sack dance over me? Yeah, sometimes he thinks he's got it. But ultimately, no. I'm at peace with God. And I rejoice in the glory and the hope of the glory of God. And that's our future. So, peace with God right now. Justification to deal with my past. But where am I going? What's my future? Eternity with God. In hope of the glory of God. And the, that's, a, that's a hope that's real. Now, it's still a hope. It's not a reality. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8, which one of these days we'll get to. But, um, but 
he talks about hope that is uh, is real is, is no longer hope. Faith that's realized is no longer faith. So if you've already got it, you don't have to hope for it. And if you have it, you don't have to have faith for it. You don't have faith that you're going to get here tonight. I, I am trusting that you know you don't have to have faith that you're going to get here. Because if your body's here but you're not, we got a problem. Okay, but you're here. You don't have to have faith that, that Jesus is going to save you. He did. Now, I know believers that have no idea. They think that their salvation is still, you know, tentative. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Like the preacher I've talked to you about before. He said, you were saved yesterday, but are you saved today? Yes. Yes. Absolutely yes. So, so the justification past, peace with God, present, but hope, the glory of God, that is future. And our future glorification is because of where we're going. We're not glorified to do what we want. We're glorified because where we're going. To be there, you have to be glorified. You cannot be in heaven. You cannot exist in the presence of God without glorification, without having your, not only your spirit man recreated in his image and likeness, but your flesh glorified. And so there will be that glorious change. But then Paul moves on, and this is where we get into the meat of this. Not only that, he says in verse 3, but we rejoice in our tribulation. Now, this is the top of your page too. We, we, we triumph in the tribulations which is the way that it reads from the Greek language. We triumph in the tribulations. We don't just triumph in tribulation. Well, praise God, I'm going through trial. That's good. That's wonderful. No, we triumph in the tribulation, in the fact that we are pressed. Well, I don't want to rejoice in that. You know, why should I rejoice in the fact that I'm under pressure? Because of why you're under pressure. You're under pressure. Because you're on God's side. Because you've been justified. Because you have peace with God. Because you have a hope of the glory of God to come. We rejoice also in the tribulations. And the tribulations are the things that we face in this life. The pressures we face because of whose we are. Not because of what we did. But because of whose we are. And we, we boast in that. How, how can we boast in that? Because I didn't do it. I'm boasting in who? In him. In the fact that he is giving me the strength and the ability to stand under this pressure. So we rejoice in the tribulation. The Greek word tribulation is thlipsis. That's a fun word to say. Everybody say it. Thlipsis. You know, you've got to get your mouth moving. Right? We don't like THL. That's, we, we don't have words that have that in it. And then a PS together. It's like we, we don't write words like that. Okay. Thlipsis. But it means to be pressed under a weight. 
well, why do I want to rejoice in being pressed under a weight? Because of whose you are. You wouldn't be pressed under a weight if you didn't belong to him. We're pressed under a weight because we don't belong in this world any longer. Because we don't fit the world's image. You want to get out from under the pressure? Live like the world. And the pressure quits from the world. But there's another pressure that begins to build on the inside, and that's God. God won't let you just live that way. But we're not talking about him wanting to change us. We're talking about the world wanting to change us. The world doesn't want you to live for God. The world and all of the pressure, uh, the world's sources, the devil and all of his demons, all of his manipulations, all of those who are under his uh, influence, they want to do everything they can to keep you from glorying in God. But what does Paul say? We boast, we triumph in the tribulations. Those things that the enemy uses against us. Now, this word, thalipsis, it was used to describe these, these big stones that they would roll across the grain. And the purpose of rolling across the grain was to break the hull. Those on the outside of the seed and thereby expose the kernel. And then they could take the kernel and they could grind it. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to break you. He wants to push us through the pressure to break us. And then once broken, then he feels like he could just grind away at us. And the world wants to grind away at us. And so we face this pressure. Early believers faced it. We face it. Uh, you can read it in Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8 where he talks about we are pressed on every side. We, we are perplexed. We face death. But you know what? We triumph. Ultimately, we triumph in all these things. So that's the first use of this word. But the word was also then used by, by the Roman army when they would take big stones and they would make a hole in the stone and then they would embed it with a wooden stake. And then they would put these wooden stakes on the stone and then roll the stone down the hill toward the enemy line. And God forbid you're standing in front of it. And they would use these to break the lines of the enemy so that then the legions of, of foot soldiers could break through and get on the other side. And so they used this again. What's the enemy's tactic to break our line of defense? He wants to put the pressure on to break us down. And every one of us knows believers who have allowed the line of defense to be broken down. They've just given up. We all know believers who've given up. They used to be part of church. They used to come. They used to read their Bible. They used to pray. Now they don't. You say, well, it was this situation or that situation or this person or that person. No, you did. You allowed the enemy 
to break down your line of defense. Every one of us has faced pressure. But here we are. Here we are. And we read stories and we read testimonies about some believers who face incredible trials and pressures and yet went through them. So, this pressure, this weight. My third point there is consistently it's used in reference to the powers of this world or of the devil. It's not used of things that God does. God does not put us under pressure. He's going to put the world under pressure. That's called the great tribulation, right? Or the tribulation and then the great tribulation. And so God is going to do that to the world. But what's he going to do with us? Oh, he's going to take us out first. So that we don't face that tribulation that God is going to place against the world. So, tribulation to the early Christians had nothing to do with sickness, illness, poverty, loss of friends or family. They did not use this word. The Christians did not use this word in reference to any of those things. Yet, how many preachers today do? That sickness is, you know, one of the sufferings, and God sends the sufferings, and God says... This, none of this is about God sending it. It's about God empowering you to go through it. And what triumph over it. But this is the way the early Christians, they didn't use it. Here's what they used it for. They used it for the sacrifices they had to make and the peril that they had to meet in order to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how they use this word pressure. Philipsis, or the sufferings, if they used that word, or they used it in reference to the pressures that were imposed against them to keep them from proclaiming the name of Jesus, to keep them from living to the glory of God. That's how they used it. Hebrews chapter 10. It's there in your notes. Hebrews chapter 10. Paul says, but recall the former days... When after you were enlightened, that's a beautiful word in the Greek language, it means that the light flashed. Fotizo, just like the light, like, like I had a strobe light up here and I just flashed the light. Did you ever flash in like a dark room and you turn on flash and you can, suddenly you can see things and then of course it's gone. But after you were enlightened, this is talking about your salvation. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. The word suffering there has to do with mental pressure. With sufferings. And then verse 33 says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and pressure. The word affliction is the Greek word philipsis. Reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. Publicly exposed to reproach. Any of that going on today? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Publicly exposed to reproach and pressure. Not only what the enemy does to you, but sometimes you took a stand with a brother, sister, 
with another believer, with another church, with, with another you know, mission group or people in another nation, taking a stand with them. You joined with them in their standing under this pressure. And we come back to that word endured here in just a few minutes. So this is, this is real pressure. In the case of the Christian, tribulation resulted in increase in faith. Consistently, the way that this was used, not just in the Bible, New Testament, but also in the testimonies and the, the stories of the believers in the early age, the tribulation increased their faith. It's like the more pressure they came under, the more they grew. If you, if you never face pressure, then you will not have the strength that you need. They, if they cut down the trees in like the outside border of a forest and they take those trees out, heavy wind will knock all the rest of the trees over because their root system has not been developed to withstand the wind like the trees on the outer boundary of the forest. It's so, so what the enemy did the same thing with, with a legion. Where did you put the strongest men? Did you put your weak people at the front? No. It's like, well, sacrifice the pawns. We play chess. You know, so like your pawns, you think you're your weak ones. You know, but a good master chess player will win the game with a pawn. So, but, but they think, well, they're just lambs for the slaughter. And so there are armies who have put children, the weak, the feeble. They put the weakest soldiers up front and sacrifice them to the enemy. Because they're not ready to stand. But what do you do? You put your strongest soldiers at the front. And you put a good front up. And that's what we find in Christ. That facing pressure increases our faith. And not only that, builds rewards. Look at Second Corinthians chapter... Um, this should say chapter 4. Yeah. No, I'll skip down. I'll get to that later on. That's down below. Second, Second Corinthians 4.17 says, Our light affliction or tribulation or suffering, which is for the moment, it's just momentary. Our light tribulation, which is momentary, works or generates for us more and more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. So this light affliction. So the reason I put that reference in there, first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, the reason I put that in there is because that's where Paul describes what he means by our light affliction. So light affliction isn't, I got a mosquito buzzing in my head. Right, that's not what he means by a light affliction. Light affliction is, oh, I got a hangnail. Wow, it's really suffering. 
well, they can be suffering, but anyway, that's not what he means by light affliction. What does Paul mean? Just go down below. I've got the passage in there. Skip all the way down to verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. Or read it in your own Bible or device. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. Listen, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction. Here he calls it just pressure, tribulation. In chapter 4 he says, but our light affliction, or this light tribulation. What does he mean by light tribulation? Continue reading chapter 1 verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the tribulation, affliction, pressure we experienced in Asia. 1 Corinthians 15.32, Paul talks about where he withstood the beasts in Asia. Some people think he's making a reference to people, but they really did put lions in the arena, and they did put Christians in there. So, we fought with beasts in Asia. Verse 4, it says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's what Paul means by light affliction. Pressure so great that we despaired of life. It was like, okay, we're going to die here. And you know what? I'm okay with that. That's what Paul's going to say. I'm okay with that. Because if I die, I go to Jesus. What's the worst that the devil could do? Send me to Jesus. We were utterly beyond our strength. The, the, the Greek word means we were thrown so far beyond the bounds. Our ability to bear up to this was here. And we were thrown way over there. And there's no way that we could bear this in ourselves. Beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's light affliction? But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If we're going to die here, since my ministry is not over, God's going to raise me from the dead. Why, that's confidence. And, verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You know what? If I face it again, I'll have the same confidence and the same trust. Am I going to skip going because of my last experience? No. You know, just Jonathan back there looking at me, and I, I remember, you know, the time I got sick in China, and I just, it was, I was really, really, I'd never been that sick in my life. And I don't ever want to be that sick again. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. And, you know, Jan's here at home. I'm there. <laughs> what am I going to do? But you know what? I got delivered. And when it was time to go to China again, there I was. And just because there's trial, just because it was hard, 
didn't mean that you skipped it. Went to the photography workshop up in Glacier National Park. The first day, the first day. He takes us down and says, we're going to walk to a waterfall. He said, it's just a little over a mile walk. And I thought, okay, I can do that. No problem. Except it was a mile down and up again and back down again. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And I'm not used to 7,000 feet. And uh, whew. well, I got there. And we took pictures, and I got some incredible pictures. And I would never have seen them had I not dealt with that pressure. But then it was time to turn around and go back. It's like, is there a taxi that comes down here? It's like, you know, is there, you know somebody, got a, somebody got a mule for me to ride or something? And besides that, I'm carrying about 40 pounds of camera equipment. But I got there. And you know what? Next morning, he said, you want to meet with the workshop we're going to meet here at 3.30 in the parking lot be ready he says we got another waterfall we're going to walk to he said it's about a three mile walk he said but it's not as hard as the last one no because it was pretty much straight downhill (laughs) easy going (laughs) but it was about a 1400 foot climb back up the other way all right, why did I sign up for this? <laughs> to take beautiful pictures, that's why. Okay. It's, see, this is pressure, that, but that's pressure, and we face these things. But that's what God has called us to do. So can I rejoice in the tribulation? Yeah. Is there a reward in it? Yeah. So not only does my faith increase, as I engage my faith against the pressure I'm also building up an eternal weight of glory it says an exceedingly great eternal weight of glory it's like wow so you know what when the devil puts the pressure on you know what he's doing he's building gold for you in heaven it's like he's building rewards for you it's like thank you devil no, I'm not going to thank you for that. But anyway. And we, re- we encounter these things. Now, notice my point there in the middle of the page. This encountering, listen, is not from God. Although God may lead us into it, but it's not from him. The wilderness was, was just there. But if you're going to get to the promised land, you've got to go through the wilderness. You're going to build muscle, you're going to have to get under the weights. You want to build endurance, you're going to have to run. I don't want to run. I just want the endurance. It's not going to work that way. So, it's not from God as a source, but it is used by God. So this pressure isn't from him, but God uses it for our good. Because as we stand under the pressure, then we see the benefit. And I put this passage in here, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. But especially if you just look down through verse 7. 
Look at all the times that the word encourage. In your translation, it might say comfort. In the King James, uh, it says, what, our... He's the God of all comfort, um, edification. But the Greek word simply means to encourage, to encourage, to encourage. And look how many times that word is used. He encourages us in all of our pressure, that word affliction, every time it's pressure, so that we might be able to encourage those who are in any affliction. So every time I face pressure, God encourages me. If, if you're listening, if you're open to it, when you face pressure, God will encourage you as you stand under it. So that when someone else is facing pressure, I can help them. Not because I had the same pressure that they had, but because I have the same, get this, I have the same God they have. The God that brought me out is the same God that's going to bring you out. I've never faced certain sicknesses, but I have had God help me in times of financial need. You say, what's that got to do with facing cancer? Everything. The same God that brought me through is the same God that's going to bring you through. Sometimes we get the idea, well, if you haven't been through it, then you can't be the encourager. Yes, you can. Whatever you've been through, Use it to encourage other people so that we can face these things. And so all of these things come down, this affliction, this affliction. Finally, go down to verse 6 there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. says, for we are afflicted, it's for your encouragement and salvation. It didn't say God afflicts us. What's afflicting us? The world. Natural situations. The devil himself putting you under pressure. If you are afflicted, it's for your encouragement. I'm going to use it to encourage you. If I'm under pressure, I'm going to turn it around and use it to encourage you. And if we are encouraged, if God has encouraged me, it's going to be for your encouragement. So if I'm under pressure, it's for your encouragement. If I'm being encouraged, it's for your encouragement. See, what God wants to do is use my experience to help build your encouragement so that you can notice what it says it's for your encouragement which you experience when you those two words in blue patiently endure the same sufferings as us the same pressures that we face patiently endure and that's going to bring us to the next word down at the bottom of your page. Endurance. We patiently endure. Pressure is there. Say, well, I don't want the pressure. Then you just gave in to the pressure. Say, well, if I don't, if I don't go out and witness, then I, I'm not going to face the pressure of being rejected by people. Right? It's true. And you'll just sit under that self-condemnation of well, I ought to go. Maybe I should have gone. And so you discourage yourself. You face those different things. We don't want to face something, but we're going to have to if we're going to see victory. I didn't like, didn't like, Jen and I stopped going. I didn't like going to the gym. I hated it. 
I did it, but I hated it for about three years. Finally, we decided I need to do that. But um, I think it I think it helped me during the time I was going. But now it helps me not doing it. Okay. Endurance. The Greek word endurance, hupomone. H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. Hupomone. It means to stand under the weight. Mone is to, to abide under, to, to live. Hupo under. To live under, to abide under, to dwell under the pressure. But don't stop there. Because that's not what the Greek word was used for. To endure was not just standing under the pressure, it was standing under until you overcome. Standing under until you've seen a victory. Staying in the fight till you win. Running till you're done. Paul said, I have run, or God told Paul, you have run your race. You are engaged in this. Israel did not like the wilderness, but the thought of facing the giants was even worse, so they stayed in the wilderness and never obtained the promise. Not that generation. So this is the way that we have to deal with these. There's an endurance. The the endurance. Please don't let the Bible influence you to translate this as patient or patience. It's not patience. It's not just putting up with something until it goes away. No, this is abiding under so as to overcome. Look at the bottom of your page. John Wycliffe, the first English translation of the Bible back in the 1300s. He was looking for an English word to translate this Greek word, hupomone. But he couldn't find any that were adequate. So he adapted the word for strength, Latin, fortis. So he took the word fortis and made an English word out of it, fortitude. From which we get fort, a stronghold, fortified, what Wonder Bread is fortified <laughs> with 12 essential vitamins, whatever it says. Yeah, whatever. Is that right? 12? Anyway, fortified. And guess what? It's also the root for the word comfort. Comfort in Greek was not a blanket, a bowl of soup, a cup of hot chocolate, a hand on your shoulder. That's not what comfort was. Comfort, as, as Wycliffe created the word, meant to add strength. To add strength. So to comfort someone to him meant I'm going to call you to strength or I'm going to add strength to your life so that you can overcome. Top of the page. All the pressure that we face, Paul says, produces Fortitude, endurance. Pressure generates endurance. 
unless pressure generates escape. So either you're going to endure to overcome or you're going to escape or crushed under it. So it is, it's much more than what we just think of endurance. The more we stand under it, the stronger we get. The more we face pressure, the more we are willing to engage the pressure of this world, of this world system, the more we're willing to engage the pressure that the enemy throws at us to keep us from our witness, to keep us from living our life to the glory of God, the more we face that, the more we, we face the pressure that comes from our own flesh to try to get us to give up from living for God and just to live, in a sense, a, quote, lazy life. The more we face that pressure, the more we're going to grow, the stronger we're going to become until we overcome. And so the idea of this word endurance, fortitude, was to have an attitude which can overcome the world, a spirit which does not passively endure, but which actively overcomes. Actively, not passive, I'm, I'm enduring. No, you're not enduring. You're giving up. Endurance means I'm pressing against the weight. I'm doing everything I can to push this weight off of me. And the more you push the weight, push against the weight, the more muscle you build. That's just biblical. And that's what the Greek words were used for. It's not our idea. This is God's idea. Pressure is real. Does God know that there's pressure in this world? Yeah, you know, so what he what does he do? The more you stand, the more you're willing to face, the more you engage the pressure, the more strength that God adds to your life, the stronger you become. Now, nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament, what did I just say? Nowhere in the New Testament, say it again, nowhere in the New Testament is this word ever used for God sending something against us. Yes, it's used for the tribulation. But it is not used for God sending, quote, suffering into our life, or this thing, or that thing. God may lead us to it, to take us through it, but he does not bring it upon us. He does not use this, well, God's, you know, just he put this sickness on me to teach me something. What are you learning? I don't know. I must be learning something. You know what? I don't know what I'm supposed to learn, but no, you're not. God doesn't do that. And here's here's one of the reasons we know why. Because you're rewarded for pushing against it. And if it's God, then why are you resisting it? If the sickness quote is from God, if the poverty is from God. If the robbery or whatever taking place, the separation is from God, then why are you rewarded for re- resisting it? If it's God, aren't you resisting his will? If God sends sickness, shouldn't you just say, make me sick? Just make me more sick. Because the more sick I am, the more reward God gets. No, it's nev- that's nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. And this word is never used in that reference to sickness, illness, 
poverty, separation from family, those things. But here's what happens. Pressure generates endurance. And endurance generates the word translated in, in the NAV or the ESV is character. Other translations have uh, testimony. Um, generates, what's the King James say? Um, pressure, approval. approval. But the Greek word dokumen has to do with approved character. You went through it. Now you have approved character. It's, it's simple, but I like to think of it as a merit badge. You went through this. You've got a marriage ba- merit badge now. And what does that badge give you? Hope to have another one, to get something else, to face a greater pressure. If I've overcome that, then I can overcome this. This is where, as Pastor Jeff was talking about a couple of Sundays ago, this is where we use our past. I know everybody says, well, don't, don't look at your past. Forget your past. No, look at your past and see what God did. Look at the victories God's brought you through. And use that for the future. And that's, you could go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and that's what he says. The trials that you faced, the, the pressures that you faced... God encouraged you in those. Now encourage other people. Encourage yourself. Hey, I went through that. I can deal with this. I know it. I know I've never faced it before. Or how many could say, I know that the last time I faced it, what? Mm, I didn't do so. How many? How many say I I faced something and didn't do so well? So you face it again and you say, well, I might as well just give up on this because I didn't get it right the last time. Did you ever retake a test? A lot of us know. I didn't ever want to. So, but you, you didn't just quit. I liked coming in first place when I was running track. I liked that. There were times I didn't. And I didn't say, well, that's it. You know, I'll never be first place again. You know, no, you just you keep pushing. You keep going. So I didn't make it the last time. So what? I'm pushing on. This is approved character. So here's the here's the little formula. Tribulation generates endurance. You don't have to generate the endurance. The pressure generates the endurance. But you gotta face the pressure. You gotta stay under the pressure to get the endurance. The endurance generates approvedness. I have another way to say that. Approved character, but approvedness. Right? And you don't have to generate the approvedness. All you got to do is endure. And your character grows. And this approval generates hope. It just comes. I did that. I can take that. I can face this. Again, I use this illustration, and I've used it so many times, but... David, when he was brought to the armies there and Goliath had challenged everyone and no one wanted to go out and fight him and no one would do it, David said, I will. He says, you can't do this. You're not approved. And he said, I kept my dad's sheep. And the lion came 
killed the lion. A bear came. I killed the bear. So what's this guy? Just my next merit badge, that's all. You know, so his approval of keeping sheep gave him hope for the lion. The proof character of the lion gave him hope for the bear. Approvedness of killing the bear gave him hope to take on Goliath. And he did, and what? And he won. So all of this comes down to this final point. And this hope does not put us to shame. What kind of hope? Hope that I can take on something greater. Hope that I can can endure beyond. I have seen God do in my life. I have watched him bring me through pressure after pressure, trial after trial, situation after situation. Some of them I didn't do so well. God did wonderfully. Because as I trusted in him, as I stood on his word, as I continued to uh, confess his power and his grace in my life, as I faced those things, as I engaged the enemy, I saw victory. And I triumphed over those things. And you know what? This, This kind of hope makes me not ashamed. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. The word ashamed, the Greek word for ashamed, means to hide the face. To hide the face because you don't see anything good. Nothing beautiful. Nothing that is of benefit. So to be ashamed in the Greek meant to turn your face because you don't see anything good in it. So Paul says, Timothy, Timothy, don't become ashamed of me and of my testimony of the Lord. Don't. He talked about a man named Onesimus who was not ashamed of my chains. He didn't say, Paul's in the dungeon. I'm not going to go down there. He went down there. And the indication is, he died there. Just to go down and minister to Paul. But it didn't keep him from doing it. And where's the Nesmus? In heaven. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.16, he talks about this, this strength that this man Onesimus had. Why? Because he wasn't ashamed. I'm not going to turn my face as if there's nothing hopeful. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I got the testimony. If I've never engaged the pressure, I've never built the endurance, I don't have the approvedness, the character, therefore I don't have the hope, I'm going to turn my face from every pressure that comes my way. Because I don't see anything beneficial in it. But how many of us know that there are pressures that we face, every one of us, that unless we go through them, unless we engage them, unless we endure under the pressure, we're not going to have the reward that God has put on the other side. You don't want to walk through the wilderness, you will not reach the promised land. It's just not going to be that way. And so this kind of hope makes us so that we are not ashamed. Makes us not ashamed. Why? Because, listen, listen to this phrase, and this will tie us into our next lesson. Because the love of God has been poured out and into our hearts. That's the way the Greek word would read. Has been poured out into our hearts. 
the love of God. God loved me so much. Not only did he justify me and grant me peace with him and bring me into this kingdom of grace, he's also given me the ability to stand against pressure. He helps me endure and encourages me when I am willing to face those things. And the strength that is generated makes me not ashamed. His love for me is so great that he has brought me through all of these things. That's his love for me. His love for me brought salvation when I was still in sin, which is where he's going to go in the very next verse. So this love of God has been poured out into our hearts. This is not about your love for him. And neither is it about your love for one another. That's not the love he's talking about. He's talking about you realizing how great God loves you. And if he loves me this much, then he's going to bring me through everything. And he's going to give me everything I need to face the pressures that I'm facing in life. I don't have to worry about that. Now, John takes this another dimension when he talks about, you know, the love of God casts out all fear. Why? Because when I realize how much God loves me, I don't have to be afraid of witnessing to people. If they kill me, they kill me. I'm not believing for that, neither does Jan, right? So, what's the worst they can do? Send you to Jesus. But this love in my heart casts out all fear of preaching about Jesus, talking about Jesus, loving Jesus, publicly declaring Jesus. I am not afraid of people when I know the fullness of, of God's love for me. Amen. That love gives me that confidence. And where does this come from? It comes from the fact that God loved you when you were... I know. Get ready for this. And I know this is an offense to some of you, but God loved you when you were unlovable. <gasps> me? I was never unlovable. I'm the most lovable person. I was always lovable. No, no, you were unlovable, and God loved you. That's why he loved you, because you couldn't do anything for yourself, and you needed him, and God said, so I'm here. So, anyway, that's where we'll pick up in our lesson next week, how God's love then brings us from unlovable to fully reconciled in him.